0: we will welcome Jo Robertson in Parenting. We're focusing on how to talk to children and teens about sex and pornography. Auckland based sex therapist and porn researcher Jo Robertson is with us to answer questions about when to start broaching the topic with children and what to say. She is a qualified sex therapist with a Masters in Science specialising in medicine and sex therapy and has 15 years of experience working in sexual health through education and counselling. She's research and training lead for the Light Pro Project, a charitable trust researching uh, influences on youth sexual culture and how to have positive cons- conversations about sex. then Arkway Joe, welcome back to nine to noon.
1: Thank you it's so good to be here. Has there ever been a more
0: complicated time for parenting on these matters? I suppose it depends how you look at things doesn't it? but um, certainly the ability to be across what your children are hearing and seeing pretty challenging.
1: Yeah that's true. I think historically kids would probably see what's in the dictionary and what you told them and maybe the occasional magazine and now they're getting multiple sources of information and they're not just getting they're not just reading in a book but they're seeing images and videos.
0: So what's your first piece of advice straight off with respect to that and and the concerns that parents have or perhaps I don't know if there's anyone not aware of it, um, but what's your advice straight off?
1: Yeah, I mean, just picking up that last point. There are definitely parents not aware. Um, when I used to do talks in schools, that um, I would always get the parents coming up at the coming up at the end and saying, "Oh no, not my kid." <laughs> and every time I wanted to say, "Yes, probably your kid too." Uh, so lots of parents aren't aware that their young person might be engaging in content or might be curious about sexuality and relationship. So your first question was, what's your first bit of advice? Uh, I always start with, these conversations need to happen early and often. So I think a really problematic idea that started a long time ago was that we start talking about sex when somebody is a teenager. And we do the birds and the bees talk implying it's a one-time, one-time deal. Uh, Now those chats need to happen earlier. We need to expand those chats and we also need to have them very frequently.
0: We'll get into that. I'm curious just before we do about what it is that parents do raise with you. What questions do they have most commonly, parents and caregivers? (laughs)
1: Yeah, so there's a the number. The first is the what do we talk about and when do we do that? The second is, um, so we can jump into that now or later, your, uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to get there now or do you want to wait? Uh, let's
0: get into it right now.
1: Okay, so I've got a quick list, a quick fire list. Does that work for you? Sure. All right, so by three, you want to talk about consent, you want to talk about inappropriate touch and teaching them how to say no really clearly uh inappropriate touch and consent like use the actual word consent because that's what we're going to hear in high school so it's great if we can start using that language when they're little between three and eight we want to be explaining reproduction so that's your how babies are made without necessarily the intercourse part and if you want to go there on intercourse of course that's totally up to you parents know their kids best i don't know your kids best uh, by eight, you really want to have the specific intercourse chat. So we've got some key messages you want to cover there. Consent, it's for adults, it needs to be safe, it's pleasurable, it's for relationships, et cetera. This usually go hand in hand, ha- goes hand in hand with a puberty talk. And then by 10, you really want to be having a porn chat. And um, You can decide how explicit you want to be. You don't always need to say the word porn. You might want to say things like, you know, videos or images of naked people. So there's ways kind of around it. Um, And then forever, this is coming back to that point I made at the beginning is bringing all of those topics up really regularly and ideally ideally doing what I call a once a month check in on various things that they might be experiencing. That Let, was my
0: quick fire. Let's talk about the how. Actually, one part that wasn't there, but I'm sure it will be somewhere, is, is simply our physiology and our body parts. And do we make that connection? Yeah. Uh, when do we make that connection with them being, um, for various purposes, in, including sex? And how do you, how do we talk about our our body? Because actually, you know, phobias or that's bad kind of vibes about our body parts um, are something we want to avoid
1: yeah totally you're absolutely right so at the top of my quick list which i which i missed is the from birth we use correct anatomical words for our bodies. And that might feel uncomfortable. Basically the one that most people feel uncomfortable with is the word vulva. Uh, and we love to say the word vagina instead. Some people even struggle with vagina. But the reason that it's important to use correct terms and to be talking about our bodies really openly, clearly, without without shame is because we're communicating from a really early age what parts they should be a little bit embarrassed of and what parts of their body are just totally normal. So we would never call a knee something weird. Like we would just be like, that's a knee. And what we are communicating then is like, this is a totally okay thing to talk about. There's no shame in it. It's just another part of our body. When we use the word fufu for, <laughs> for a girl's vulva, um, we imply that there's something a little bit embarrassing or shameful about it. And also that we're... We as adults are uncomfortable and what we want to do the whole time is show them, it's okay, we're comfortable, you can bring anything to us.
0: Okay, so right from birth, body parts, and something else occurs to me actually, and I hate to go there, um, but sometimes in grooming um, and the whole, you know, this is our secret thing, is there a power yeah. in a child being able to know and name actual body parts, even if they're too young to um, to, to know a purpose for them? Is that potentially a, um, a, a valuable piece of information for them to have in terms of conveying things that may be being said or done to them?
1: Yeah, it's helpful for them to be able to tell us specifically what's happened if there's been an appropriate touch. But more importantly, probably they'll feel more comfortable telling us if they don't feel already shame about that area. So if they feel embarrassed or like that part of their body is a little bit weird, they've got they've got kind of a double whammy there. They don't want to tell us something inappropriate happened and they also don't want to talk about that part of their body. So when we're clear, when we're open, when we um, are kind of factual about it all, they know, oh, yeah, it's safe. I'm okay to say these parts.
0: Right. So that's the body parts. Now, at age three, um, we are oh, sorry that we begin talking about concept of consent and inappropriate touch, which yeah. is linked to this. And again, how might you open that conversation? Is it a conversation? What, what are effective ways of doing it?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple of um, kind of key pieces or key moments to bring it up. The first, the reason I say age three is that that's the age that a lot of kids start getting a sibling. And so that's a great moment to talk about what I call the bubble. We're all in a wee bubble and it's important that we don't just jump into someone else's bubble, kind of reach into it unless they've said it's okay. And so that might be like in the bath, for example. We don't touch other people's bodies without asking them if that's all right. The other key moment that's a great educational moment is tickling. Now, this sounds a bit random, but we often tickle people and they say no And we continue because saying no is all kind of part of the play, but we can use it as an educational or a talking point by saying, all right, when you say no, I'm going to stop. And they learn pretty quickly that the word no is powerful. So it's just, you're just taking these little moments to bring it up and you, you can raise the word consent. That's what they're going to hear later on in their life. So they can make the link pretty easily.
0: It's the fact that their body is theirs uh, and that they are in charge. And you're not in charge of much when you're three, are you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. There are some spaces where they're not in charge. So, we, you know, you're going to change their nappy, aren't you, whether they consent to it or not. You're going to give them a bath whether they consent to it or not. You're going to take them to the doctor. You're probably going to get them vaccinated whether they consent or not. So it's not a clear-cut thing, but you can say, You know, we're going to ask you uh, if we can touch you or it's important that you can say no anytime except when we're protecting you or keeping you safe.
0: And that concept of the bubble is valuable because um, that... power that you're giving a young child there is particularly applicable to those outside of caregiving roles yeah or, or sibling roles yes. yeah okay yes now explaining reproduction in that age and thank you for this because it's exactly one of our questions uh, someone asking about a graded approach what should I be talking to my five-year-old about versus my eight-year-old versus my 14-year-old and obviously you've got an age range here so you're allowing for kids with different stages of development etc um, explaining reproduction to those younger children. Um, Did you say not to discuss intercourse um, perhaps with those younger age groups? What do they need to know to get a grasp on the concept?
1: Yeah, i mean it's not it's not like a don't talk about them don't talk about it but it's a if you don't feel it's they're ready for it or if it doesn't feel quite appropriate yet then use your wisdom use your like kind of the expertise you've got as a parent on your own child so i know families who have talked about intercourse with their five-year-old because there's highly inquisitive child but also a highly responsible very mature five-year-old so there's no rule per se but a younger child is more likely to tell friends or to use the language that they get from you they don't have as many uh, kind of like boundaries if you can imagine as a nine-year-old where you might be able to talk about intercourse and they'd be able to hold that a little bit more and not tell everyone at school so what do they need to know well i guess they need to know the answers to the questions you know kids might say like what's that and they're talking looking at a tampon. And we might, if we feel uncomfortable, we'll be like, oh, no, 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 uh, yeah, no, let's we'll put that to the side. That's an adult thing. But what if they picked up from that? They've picked up that you're uncomfortable, that they can't ask you a question um, and that there's parts of your life that are kind of off the table. And however, you could say that's a tampon. That's for a lot of kids that's satisfying and they don't actually need to know more. So what do they need to know? They need to know the answers to their questions. They need to know you're okay to talk about the stuff, but, you can use what i call brevity over breath so you can answer a question just simply without giving like all the information and then if they are requesting more then you can give them more if you feel comfortable if it feels like a question that's beyond appropriate like you're going i don't think you're ready for this uh, or i think you're going to tell every single one of your friends <laughs> if i tell this to you then you can say something like hey um i'm Really, really happy to talk to you about that when you're a bit older.
0: And that's interesting because that's actually reinforcing the idea that some things are for when we're older uh, and that that's fine. Yep. Um, before we come to the 10-year-olds and, and this you know, challenge of porn uh, and its endless availability um, and, and, and the challenges of trying to protect kids, frankly, and, and certainly help them understand what they are seeing and, and what to do about it, Let's just talk about who has the conversation. Um, and you know, if you have the conventional um, two-parent marriage or, or, or relationship, is it logical for both parents to be part of the conversation? Is one more comfortable? Do you do it separately but reinforce what you're saying? What works?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one that I get a lot as well. So if you're in a two parent household, um, then I recommend the person who feels more comfortable with the topic raising it first. I don't recommend uh, like two adults sit down sit with on a the child couch. formal chat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna go super well. But um but one person raise it and then the other person do what I call the follow up. Um so for example, in our house, you can imagine that I feel quite comfortable talking about these topics with my kids but my husband less so and so i often raise the topic and then he often does the follow-up chat so it might be he goes in a week later a few days later and says oh i know you talked to mum about periods or about sex or about whatever what did you think about that what did you feel do you have any other questions if he doesn't know the answers to those questions that's totally fine he doesn't have to have all the answers he can say that's a great question I'm going to think about that more and tell you tomorrow night. Or mum might know the answer to that question more than me, so I'm going to get her to talk to you about it. What's important is that both parents or whoever is in the ho- home doing the caregiving, um, that they that they both kind of give it a go because then the young person or the child knows everyone's safe to talk to. Um, I don't just have to rely on this one person being around.
0: How often do very obvious questions come back at parents or sideways looks or whatever? And, and what do you do about that?
1: Yeah, there, there, are, there can be some pretty tricky questions that come back at you. A funny one was that my um, seven-year-old had been reading a book and he was like, oh, you know, reading a book about sex and learnt all the things. And then he turned around and was like, what's IVF? <laughs> because in the book it talked about all the various ways yeah. that babies can be made. Um so it was more, uh, more when they
0: sort of look at you and say what do you two get up to do you know what I mean um that sideways look yeah, for yeah, a moment yeah. um and you know again it's a matter of of, of not being uncomfortable about that because the, yeah. the the cogs will turn and things will fall into place yes. right
1: yeah and you can just be honest like if they say is this what you guys do I would just say yes and I would pad that out a little bit more I would go yeah that's the way that me and whoever you're with show each other that we love each other. We make sure that everybody feels comfortable, that they're safe, and that it's really caring, respectful thing. So you just you're always throwing in these little nuggets that they can pick up and get messaging from.
0: Right to the porn chat, you said by ten, um, and. How do you know, regardless of age, when it's time for that? I mean, there are younger children who, if they get their hands or someone else shows them something on the phone, will be looking at something, right? And either completely not comprehending comprehending any of it or going, you know, what? So how do you know when? And then let's talk about how to have that conversation.
1: so there's two different modes here you've got your reactive mode which is exactly what you're talking about some younger kids have come across stuff and you're having to react to that and then the other mode is the proactive and that's where you've gotten a chance your kids haven't stumbled across something yet and you've gotten a chance to preempt it ideally we're in proactive mode so there's what's called um the anchoring bias which is that kids uh they take the the first place they hear information, the first place they see something or get told is what they believe is true. And then what they see after that or hear after that, they filter through their anchoring bias, the place that they heard about it first. So in an ideal world, we start the porn chat with them first. So we get them some really great messages about it. Then when they come across it, not if, when they've they're seeing it through the filter of what, of what we've already said and that's why i say by 10 so unfortunately the latest research 2023 data came out that said the average age a young person will see porn is 12. And so you've got to think there's a fair chunk of people seeing it before 12, if that's the average. So we want to be proactive and get in there a couple of years ahead of time.
0: That anchoring bias is so important. And let's talk about your older kids where, um, and, and the, I think we were talking last time, I just have so much sympathy and empathy for a generation whose sexual, learning about sexual behaviour and even sexual technique is moderated through uh, some contemporary porn, some of which, as I think we said previously, I wouldn't even call porn. I would call it sexual violence or humiliation or or whatever. And let's just have the conversation each to their own, right? But in many instances, it's not each to their own. Um, And I've seen young women in particular writing about this. In many instances, they are navigating a world I wish they weren't, and I think they wish they weren't. When sex is about mutual pleasure and respect and you hope to goodness some skill and technique is brought to the party as well (laughs) um so how do you talk to your, your your um teens and your adolescents about the what sex and love making is in the context of porn yeah
1: so we're always doing two things we're wanting to go what is great sex so we're wanting to offer an aspirational uh view for them so they know kind of what they're working towards and then we can compare it to what they are going to see in porn or what they already have seen so if i can hit the key pillars of great sex consent care which is that it's safe and that there's kindness shown from both people Um, and comfort and then communication so comfort is that it's pleasurable never painful communication is that you can say what you want when you want it and you can put up a boundary anytime and what do we see in porn um as a comparison we see a lot of aggression like you've raised we see a lot of sexism we actually see a lot of racism hardly ever talked about and we see a lot of unsafe sexual practices you know i think we need to be in a sense more explicit than we imagine when it comes to teenagers not necessarily your age 10 folk but when it's teenagers they're seen anyway so our kind of fudging around the topic isn't helpful for them they need us to be really open and quite explicit with what we're talking about um, because otherwise we're not serving them and they're going to continue to get the answers from the porn you know 70 percent of new zealand young people said that they get um, that they learn how to have sex from porn and so we've got
0: to offer something in comparison. I don't know, the Kama Sutra, what? Um, it's, um, you know, erotica that, that, that models sexual techniques because when you are learning your sexual behaviours, you are looking for how-tos. Um, yeah, totally. Don't have an immediate answer. Got some questions for you, though, right? Uh, if we could get through them as succinctly as possible okay. so we can get as many as possible. Um Actually, this I'm going to leave for another time. When do I talk about gender identification? I have a niece who now identifies as a boy and my seven and five-year-old are confused. Let's touch on it, but I hope you'll come back on this and some related topics we haven't got to. But do you want to just touch on it now, jo?
1: Um My quickfire response would be that kids can actually handle a great deal of complexity. Uh, they can handle more than we think.
0: Okay, so don't make it a big deal, right? Um Reconsent in young kids. How can we navigate telling our kids no one should be touching them in ways that make them feel uncomfortable, but then having to force certain things like medical procedures, teeth brushing, etc. I think you covered that with the concept of bubble and people's rules a little earlier, if you go back and listen to that point, right? Um, yep. OK, happy with that. Next one. Yep. How do you be OK with natural masturbation and self-exploration and yet set clear boundaries about where this can be done, for example, in private?
1: Yeah, so you want to give an affirmation, make sure that there's no shame um, and then give give boundaries that kids can no boundaries, we give them all the time, so they're fine with them. The affirmation is um it's completely okay that you want to do this. I understand it might feel nice and and that's okay. The not enforcing any shame is making sure that you never tell them off or kind of talk about it in front of other people. So you do it like a very quiet message. Sometimes you just put some undies on them if they don't have any clothes on and that. usually pretty quickly change the behavior and then you say hey it's totally okay if you want to do this we just that's something that people do in their bedrooms where it's more private so that no one else feels uncomfortable so you give a reason that's not about them
0: excellent idea one more and i want you to come back and talk about this because i know it's um again a topic we've noted that we just don't have time to get to today uh, about when is a good age to start talking about porn and sex? It's really interesting when you have neurodivergent kids. Does your guest have any particular mm-hmm. tips about timing and how with our quirky young people? Let's come back and do it fully. But Joe, could you give an immediate answer?
1: Yes, neurodivergent and um, those with long-term chronic health issues are more likely to see porn earlier and they're more likely to take the sexual script and try it out in real life. So your conversations with them need to happen earlier and more explicitly and give very, very clear boundaries of what, about what to do when they're with someone.
0: Please come back and we'll discuss it more fully. I'm really taken with this concept of anchoring bias and the reason that you want to get there first with your messaging because <laughs> it really is a thing, right, Joe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for talking about this. It's a really important one.
0: Come come back another time. We do appreciate your time. Joe Robertson.